0: Our scripture reading today comes from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John, and we are so, so close to Christmas. Uh, This year, even though it's sad because I'm not going to be able to see my extended family in the UK. Um, it's going to be a special one for us in my household because my eldest son, Oliver, for him, this is probably going to be the first Christmas where he has any comprehension of what's going on. And I'm excited. My wife and I, we've been talking about the different traditions that we want to put in place for our family so that our boys can know what Christmas is about. You know, asking the big questions. Are we going to be a real tree family or a fake tree family? Are we, are we going to be a turkey family or a no turkey family? Are we going to be the kind of family that decorates socks with embroidered names and, and puts them on our fireplace and then realize we live in an apartment block and don't have a fireplace? You know, big questions. It's, it's exciting because when kids are around, it's just more fun. We get to we get to relive Christmas, don't we, as, as children. But it also makes us re-evaluate Christmas. It makes us re-evaluate what Christmas means because we know, don't we, parents, that intentionally or unintentionally we are going to communicate something to our children about what Christmas means and what it's all about. And so as I've been preparing for this sermon I've concluded that that this is what I want my boys to know. In fact, this is what I want all of us to know, that the single takeaway, the the central truth, the one thing that, that we need to know about Christmas is this. It's that Christmas reveals God's love for us. Christmas reveals God's love for us. Now, I'm going to unpack this a bit, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at love revealed. Then, we're going to look at love defined. And then, I want to look at our response. So, love revealed, love defined, our response. So first, love revealed. As I said, in my household, we're re-evaluating Christmas. And maybe a more serious way of doing that, instead of looking at what we do, how about we look at the first Christmas and we look at what God did and maybe ask ourselves the question, why did he do what he did? Now, I'm sure for many of you, uh, to some extent, you're familiar with the nativity story. You've got prophecies, you've got angels revealing themselves to shepherds, you've got a star in the sky, all of which are pointing towards this baby in a manger called Emmanuel. God with us. So when we ask ourselves the question, what did God do in the first Christmas? The answer is fundamentally, God showed up. You know, this is, this is what the, the meaning of Advent is. It means arrival. It's God showing up. It's God becoming man, revealing himself to man. And this is what he did, but What if we were to ask the question, why? In our text today, you can see an insight into this answer. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So, Christmas is the story of of God turning up, of God arriving, of God becoming man. But why did He do what He did? Because He loves us. It's because He loves us. You see, the motivation for the Christmas event is God's love for us. God intended, it says, to, to make manifest His love among us through His Son. And maybe maybe a question today is, do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that that God loves you? Do you know that that Christmas tells us that the, the maker of all things, the maker of heaven and earth, wills to know you and to be known by you? That Christmas reveals to us, not abstractly, but tangibly in the person of his son, God's affection towards you. Maybe, maybe this year has made you question that. Maybe this year has made you think that God doesn't love you. Well, Christmas tells us that he does. Maybe you've stumbled upon this video and, and you've never even heard this before. The idea that God, the God of all creation, loves you. Let me be the first to tell you. God loves you. Maybe you have been a Christian longer than I've been alive. And you have heard this a thousand times. Well, let this be a thousand and one. God loves you. Now. I could end there. And that would be a good way to end the year. To know that we are loved by God. But I think it's important that we make a few comments before we move on. You see, see a phrase like God loves us has the potential, doesn't it, of being emptied of any real substance pretty quickly. And what I mean by that is, if I were to simply say, God loves you, God loves you. And we have a tendency, don't we, of taking God and love and and defining them ourselves and therefore emptying it of any real meaning so that God loves us can mean really anything we decide it to mean. But there's a reason I started with love revealed before I went to love defined. And it's this. You know, it is only in God's self-revelation in love that we can know what love really is. Look at verse 10 with me. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. You know, Christmas keeps us honest to a statement like God loves us because the very means by which we can know God loves us, this Christmas story is the means by which we can know who God is and what love is. Let me say that again. The, the very means by which we can know that God loves us is the means by which we can know what God, who God is and what love is. You know, Christmas shows us that God is not a God of our own devising, but is the one revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the one that Paul calls the image of the invisible God. And Christmas also shows us uh, His love for us. But it's only in this love that we can know what true love is. So, love has been revealed to us at Christmas, but it's in this revelation that we find love's definition. So first, love revealed. Second, love defined. Love defined. Okay. I remember when, when Sarah and I first moved to Vancouver, we went to Granville Island with all of the other tourists, and there we found this mural that said, love... dot, dot, dot. And then it had these subcategories. It says, is, allows and conquers and it had blank space so that you could write and chalk all of your answers. And I, I remember taking a picture of it because there was lots of funny answers like, love is vegan. Um, but there were also the standard answers that you'd expect written up there. Love is everything. And love allows everyone. And love conquers hate. They're the sort of answers that are popular in our culture. And they, they seem true enough, don't they? But, but they're vague. They don't seem to, to really serve the purpose of definition. The sort of answers that seem to say everything and nothing at the same time and, and really don't serve us well in knowing what love is. But what I want to suggest today is that what we have at Christmas is not a vague statement about love, but but the tangible, objective definition of what love is. Something that we can hold on to, that we can see. So, what does Christmas tell us about the definition of love? Now, in my house, we've been watching the fourth series of The Crown, as I know many of you have been as well. And there's a scene in it that depicts the famous moment when Princess Diana hugs this child with HIV. And it's, it's a, it was a scandalous moment at the time because what you had was this, this almost fictional princess who, who the world ha- had begun to love and revere, touching someone who at the time had uh, this, this fairly unknown disease. People thought it was dangerous to be around. And it's a powerful moment because there is this, this almost juxtaposition between the apparent purity of Diana and the apparent impurity of this child. And it's a scene that, that as I thought about it, is, is analogous to the Christmas story in some way. You see, the, the embrace of Princess Diana with this child is, in some small measure, the picture that we're given at Christmas. We have this, on the one hand, this, this royal figure, this, this person who's revered, set apart, distant by, by all standards of status. Making the move towards someone who, who couldn't have got close to royalty if they'd have tried. You know, this this is the story of Christmas. It's it's about Emmanuel, God with us, the holy with the unholy. The Diana story is obviously an inferior analogy because all analogies are inferior when we try to, to comprehend the condescension of God. The the, the humility of God, the the very fact that the God of the universe would, would, would step down into a sinful world. But what this picture does is it reveals something to us that is intrinsic to love. And it's this. It's that love costs. Love costs. You see, love is this it's this giving of oneself for the sake of the other. And then as a result of that, it's necessarily a costly act. You see, God's love for us was not simply a feeling of affection towards us, was it? It was a, it was a movement towards us, a stepping down, a humiliation even. It, it meant that, that Jesus would exchange the throne of heaven for this manger. And we know don't we? That, that This was only the start of his humiliation. Our verse today speaks of the, the final cost of love for us. It says in verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. A sacrificial, atoning sacrifice. Paul says something similar in Philippians 2 where he says... And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, when we reflect on Christmas, we know, don't we, that that Christmas is, is simply the start of a road towards Easter. We know that the humiliation of the manger finds its end ultimately in the cross. Love for us costs And we can see the extent of that at the cross, but we can see the start of that at the birth of Jesus. The love revealed to us in Jesus at Christmas is a costly love. Another feature of love that's revealed to us at Christmas is its graciousness. Its graciousness. It's a gracious love. Now let me explain. One of the central truths revealed to us in scripture is this. It's that God loves us not because we are intrinsically lovable, but because he is intrinsically loving. Let me say that again. God loves us, you and me, not because we are intrinsically lovable, but because he is intrinsically loving. And sometimes I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes knowing what God knows, you can question that. You can think to yourself, surely God doesn't love me. Surely God can't love me. But when we say that, let me suggest to you that you have misjudged God and you have misunderstood love. When I say that, I have misjudged God and I have misunderstood love. Look with me at Romans 5. The apostle Paul, he's talking about Jesus, what he came to do, what he would accomplish for us on our behalf, on the cross. But listen to the repeated reference to us. It's interesting. He says in verse 6, for while we were still weak. Verse 8, for while we were still sinners. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies. Do you see? You see what he's saying? He's saying that God's love and therefore the very nature of love itself isn't when you are good enough, then I will love. It isn't when you have done enough, then I will love. It's while you are weak, a sinner, an enemy, I'll love. J.R. Packer, on the gracious love of God, he says in the New Testament, Grace means God's love in action toward people who merited the opposite of love. Weak, sinners, enemies, yet loved. So, this love defined for us at Christmas is a costly love. It's a gracious love. But there is uh, one other important feature of that love that I, I think it's important that we don't miss today, and it's this. That it's a transformative love. It's transformative. Um, I remember reading G.K. Chesterton and he's got this great turn of phrase. He says, a thing must be loved before it is lovable. Now, what's interesting about this quote is it obviously implies the graciousness of the love that I've just been talking about. But what it also implies is the transformative power of love, the, the power of love to transform people. You see, love love should not be understood as a passive acceptance of who we are, a passive acceptance of who we are. You know, this is, this is big in our culture, isn't it? Loving someone in our culture means leaving them as they are. You know, not, not imposing ourselves on them. Loving, loving people means leaving them as they are, but, but love is not a passive acceptance of who I am. Love is the active power in transforming me into the person God has called me to be. You know, we can't read our Bibles and miss the intentionality behind love. That love is purposed. Look at verse 9 again. It says, God sent his son into the world. Why? Because he loves us. But what for? So that we might live through him. So we might find life in him. So that we might be made like him. So that we might be redeemed by him. Restored by him. Transformed by him. You know, my, my parents, they, they fostered for a long time when I was in my teens. And I remember thinking, as a teenager, um, some of these kids that my parents fostered are the most unendearing kids that you'll ever meet. I remember thinking they've got no gratitude, they act entitled. I mean, why even bother with them? You know, my parents knew something about love that I hadn't quite yet understood. Now, I knew love was costly. Yeah, I could see financially, emotionally, it cost my parents to foster. It was gracious, yeah, I could see it. These kids did nothing to deserve their love. But my parents knew that love wasn't only costly and gracious, they knew it had power to change these kids. You see, the love revealed to us at Christmas, this self-sacrificial, costly, gracious love, is intended, it's purposed to transform our lives. Praise God. So love revealed, love defined, But what of our response? What of our response? What we see in our text is what we might call an imperative, something that we ought to do. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we know, don't we, that we're called to love. We know it's it's not new to us that we, we are supposed to love. If you've been around church any length of time, I'm hoping that you've picked up by now that we're supposed to love. We might even know well, if you've been around long enough, that what this love looks like, what it's supposed to look like, that it's supposed to be costly and gracious, and it has the power to transform. But I don't know about you, my problem is often not information. I've heard a lot before. My problem is not information. My problem is not that I don't know what to do. It's that often I feel completely incapable of doing it. Um, Sarah and I just started the marriage course together. And as an aside, if you haven't done the marriage course, it's, it's really helpful. Uh, it's great. I'd highly recommend it. But, but one of the things that it does as a warning is it confronts us with how well we love our spouse. And honestly, at times, it's pretty humbling. Do I love well? Do I, do I actually love well? Do I love sacrificially? Does it cost me? Do I, do I love graciously? Do I do it not expecting anything in return? Do I do it purposefully, knowing the person who God intends my wife to be? But here's something that's, that's more humbling than that. My wife is pretty easy to love. What about the people who aren't? What about the difficult people? What about, what about the people who give nothing back? What about the people who are, who are so obviously broken and they're easier to hate? What about the people who have wronged us? It's challenging. It's challenging to love. I want to encourage you today of something that the Lord encouraged me through this text. As I was thinking about our response, He reminded me that our response is always just that a response. You see, when I try and find the resources within myself, when I, when I try and love the way that God has revealed it and defined it for us, when I try and love in this, in this costly, gracious, intended manner, I find in myself an empty well. <laughs> I'm actually unable to do it. The good news for us, church, is that what Scripture reveals to us is that the command of God to love others is never more than a breath away from the revelation of God's love for us. Look at our text. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John later says, we love because he first loved us. Christian love, Christ city. is always a second move. It's always a response. It's always a reply to the love of God to us. And we know, we know that we love. Every time we love, we are loving from a place of being loved. Which means when we love, we don't have to look for resources within ourselves, but we are resourced from heaven. God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, it says. And that's why this is what I want my boys to know. That's why this is what I want you to know at the end of this tough year is not first that you ought to love. It's first that you are loved. Christmas reveals God's love for us. It's a costly love. A love that would ultimately cost His life in order that we might have it. It's a gracious love. It's a love that says, even while we are weak, sinners, enemies, yet I will love. It's a transforming love that has the power to transform even a wretch like me. And when we know, experience, meditate on, enjoy this truth, we'll find the resources because they're from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Would you direct us by your Spirit to your Son this Christmas? Would we know your love for us? And would we be empowered by your Spirit to love as we have been loved? In Jesus' name, amen.